The Black Box. Emergency response executive Ken Jenkins draws from his years of experience in deployment, logistics, planning, and after action analysis to take you inside the Black Box. Now, here's Ken Jenkins. Welcome to the Black Box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins, and today we're going to discuss what seems to be a sensitive topic. And I say that because when I ask this particular question, I receive a lot of various looks and responses. The question, in the aftermath of a tragedy or disaster involving your business, should you apologize? You know, I've researched this topic for quite some time and I find it interesting how diverse the responses to this question are. And to help shed light on this topic, our guest today is Lee Taft of Taft Solutions. He's an expert in conflict resolution and apology forgiveness. Lee is a pioneer in the movement to transform traditional cultural responses to conflict. And for 20 years, he's worked as a plaintiff's litigator in Dallas, Texas, and was board certified in both personal injury and civil trial law. In 1996, he left his practice in order to attend Harvard Divinity School, where he wrote his graduate thesis on apology in mediated settings. In 2007, Mr. Taft was invited to help the Stanford University hospitals design and implement their disclosure policies and protocols, and the resulting program was called PEARL, which is now considered a national model for how hospitals should respond to adverse events in the delivery of care. Today, in addition to his consulting practice, he guides leaders of values-driven companies in defining, communicating, and measuring individual and corporate values. He is a frequent lecturer and also an adjunct professor at the Strauss Institute at Pepperdine University School of Law. Lee, welcome to the Black Box. Morning, Ken. Thank you. Appreciate you inviting me today. And thank you for being here, Lee. Um, you have such an, an interesting background, and I want to start by, by sharing with you um, something that happened to me recently. And, and you know the work I do in aviation emergency response, and, and I also work with brand recovery, and I was at a conference and um, working with companies and organizations to discuss brand recovery after a disaster. And I spoke about the importance of apologizing. And afterwards, several of the guests approached me and said that while they believed personally that an apology was the right thing to do, they shared that their organiza organization would never do it because of liability issues. And so to kind of get us started, I guess, for today is how do you approach organizations that have liability fears concerning apologizing after a tragedy? Liability fears are, it's a, it's a real fear. I, I don't try to shy away from it. Part of what you have to do is ask yourself, what kind of apology are you offering? If you're offering an apology, we're sorry this happened, not really liability fears. But if you're offering an apology that we're sorry this happened because we made a mistake and our mistake contributed to the harm you've sustained, that's an entirely different conversation. So what I do is I invite them into who are you as a company? One way to know who you are is you look at what the company's values are. Lots of companies have values like integrity, transparency, stewardship, responsibility. And so you just ask them. So the hardest time to be a value-driven company, the hardest time to really live into your values is in a moment of crisis where you have to be accountable for harm you've caused. 
So you just say, do you mean your values or don't you mean your values? So is it one of those things, I mean, when you said value-driven company and you come back to what their values are, which are are typically, let's say in an aviation uh, or with an aviation client, typically you're going to hear safety is our first value. Our customers are our second, you know, our our value to us. Our shareholders are a value to us. What I find is that oftentimes they say those things, but then when the tragedy hits, they forget those values and don't apologize. I mean, there are story after story within the aviation industry where airlines wouldn't apologize to those impacted after a disaster. So while I understand what you're saying about going back to the company and saying, what do you, do you really stand for these values? How do you do that after a disaster has occurred? And do companies reach out to you for that response um, in terms of guidance? And then how do you address them that way? Well, integrate those three items that you said, safety, customers, shareholders. So part of what you do is you introduce them into the empirical data. And what the empirical data says in healthcare, and healthcare is where this whole notion of apology is particularly well developed Mm -hmm. because there's an imposition both from a regulatory and safety perspective for having done it. So there's years of experience. It isn't just anecdotal at this point about what's the importance of apology. There's more empirical data for it. So what you see is, is you see that when you're willing to apologize in a wake of mistake, part of what the kind of apology that I'm talking about is one where it's robust, where you look into deeply what went wrong, you account for what went wrong, but as you're looking backwards, you find out that there have been structural problems, and so you have an opportunity to correct structural and systemic problems. So what that does is that it enhances safety. So that because you've made this correction, this systems correction, then other people who are similarly situated aren't going to be similarly harmed. So now you've addressed safety. When you treat customers with respect, that's what people, they appreciate it. They don't just want a pat on the back. They want you to know that you value them enough Mm -hmm. that you have the courage to account for the harm you've caused. And then when you're speaking to your shareholders, what's interesting at this intersection, this intersection of being willing to be accountable, and then you have an intersection of law, accountability, safety, what really the data shows is that as you are willing, an organization is willing to step in authentically to account for the harm they've caused, they actually, what they'll do is they'll reduce claims and they'll reduce the costs associated with an adverse event. So what I tell that airline that you're talking about is first look at your values. Who do you want to be as a company? Do you want to have retention with your customers? Do you want to treat them well? But also, what kind of steward are you with your shareholders? And so if you're willing to correct safety issues, you're going to avert potential future disasters, but you're also going to save money in the process. So, Lee, you had mentioned um, earlier about healthcare and that how they've really worked, uh, I think, very closely as, as an industry with regards to apology. Um, I don't think you mentioned apology legislation, but I know that there is apology legislation within the healthcare industry. How many states today approximately, last I heard, I think it was 30, 35, have what's called apology legislation? So there are around 37 states. When I first started working in this area, there were two, Massachusetts and Texas. You then have to think about these, when you're thinking about apology statutes, think think of them along a spectrum. The traditional legal law is that if I get out of my car after a car wreck and apologize, say I'm sorry, I was on my cell phone, all my fault, that is what's called an evidentiary admission. So that's the typical rule of law. You make an apology, it's an illegal admission, it can be used against you in evidence to establish that you are at at fault for what you've done. There's a moderate view, Texas, Massachusetts, this is the first legislative movement, and that is to protect sympathetic expressions. 
Ken, I'm sorry you're suffering. I hope you're okay after this accident. Those are protected. But that if I go on and say, I hope you're okay, I'm sorry that you're suffering, but I ran the red light, that isn't protected. This is now the third movement. So you have the traditional rule, you have the moderate view, and now you have the more recent movement, and that is to have a complete protection of any apologetic expression, but it's of doctors or healthcare providers in a healthcare context. This is where you see in states like Colorado, Arizona, um, Washington State. That's the sort of the movement. So you have this legislative movement along a spectrum from the traditional rule to complete protection. So when, when we're looking at healthcare legislation, for example, r- regarding apology legislation, uh, someone approached me a year or two ago and said, there should be a move within the aviation industry to have aviation apology legislation. And I'm wondering, is that really necessary or just simply understand the bounds of what you should apologize for and what you shouldn't? So one of the things to be aware of is that I'm not a proponent of these apology statutes. I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I think that if someone wants the benefit of apology, if I want to be, have the, the, all of the benefits that fall to me because I'm willing to have the courage to apologize, I don't think my apology should be protected from legal consequence. So I'm not a fan of these, but it is interesting that the legislation is protecting only in healthcare. It's not protecting truck drivers. It's not protecting you or me. It's mm-hmm. not protecting people in the aviation industry. I'd be more inclined to want the aviation industry to step into a willingness to really account for the harm that happens in the wake of an aviation disaster. I just find this whole topic fascinating, Lee. When we come back from the break, I want to talk to you more about a public versus private apology, when we should and shouldn't apologize, and what do you do, um, how, how does an organization show the humanity behind the organization with regards to apologizing? And we'll talk more about that when we come back from the break. Buckle up. More of The Black Box is next on RNCN. Hang on tight. You're listening to The Black Box on RNCN. And welcome back to The Black Box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins, and our guest today is Lee Taft of Taft Solutions. And before the break, we were talking about the importance of uh, organizations apologizing, and specifically, we actually got into apology legislation. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, Lee, was when you have a company that values safety, integrity, and character, and those are their cultural values within their organization, and the CEO and the senior leadership is all for the apology, but their in-house or retained legal team doesn't believe that because of liability issues. How does a company resolve that conflict where, from an emotional response, let's say, the CEO wants to apologize, but the in-house legal team says, no, you shouldn't? So complicated and, under, and understandable. First, what I, what I always remind CEOs of is that they're running their company. Their lawyers aren't running their company. It's the lawyer's role to give a CEO, to give a company advice This is the consequence, this is a legal advice, this is the consequence of your apology. If you apologize, these are the legal consequences. It isn't for the lawyer then to run the company's values or to steer the ship. It's up to the CEO to say, thank you, got the information, got it, but we're a values-driven company and this is what we're gonna do. But the legal team, the piece that I do with legal teams, I want them educated. Lots of lawyers, we're, we're trained in law school to think about things through an evidentiary perspective. We get it, it's a legal admission. So we want to prevent the the company from making a legal admission. But what I have to do is I have to educate them and have to have lawyers understand because they're old school. They haven't been following this apology movement the way that you have. So what they're not being aware of 
is in not being aware of, 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 inst of instances like Stanford. So for instance, at Stanford, we designed their program. After about seven years, empirically, what they show is that claims are down by 36%. They're saving about $3.5 million a year on their budget. University of Michigan implemented the same kind of disclosure program. Their claims are down by 50%. Costs are down by 50%. Opening to closing times for litigation is down from 21 months to nine months. So lawyers aren't being aware of the empirical data. It isn't just anecdotal like, wow, it sounds like apology would be a good thing. It's now empirical. There are longitudinal studies. You've got a 14-year study out of the University of Michigan, seven-year study out of Stanford. So what I'm doing with lawyers, I want to understand, yep, you've got that training, but I want to give you some empirical data to help you guide your companies so that you're not stuck in what you learned 20 years ago in law school, but you're stuck with what's going on really in the, in the world today and so that maybe you can be more innovative and get out of your box. So, And I understand the evidentiary aspect of, of the apology, but it also seems to me, uh, just from an emotional standpoint, that that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, don't apologize, it means you're liable. It's still something that's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And what we're hearing, or what it seems I'm hearing, is that that's not always the case. It depends on how you apologize. And what the empirical evidence shows today is that you can do that, and you still see some of the benefits that you just mentioned. Is that right? I want to go back to what you just said. If you're liable, you're liable. This is the piece. This is, this is the point. The apology isn't just to use it strategically to say, hey, Ken, everything's going to be okay. Let's right. just sort of gloss over it. The, the, the situation is... If a company is liable, if the company's conduct has caused harm to a human being, part of what the integrity of the company is, is to be, have the willingness and the courage to step in to the harm that they've caused and to account for the harm they've caused, which includes accepting legal liability. This is where lawyers get nervous, but what I'm trying to have them understand is, is that when you accept legal liability, you remove the incendiary piece from the litigation mm -hmm. so that you're dealing with people in a humanistic way and that you can resolve it from a business perspective, but you've also dealt with someone's humanity and what's happened. And, and the humanistic way and dealing with humanity is certainly at the forefront for those on the receiving end of that, those that are impacted by the disaster. So before the break, Lee, we were discussing um, different questions around apology. And one of them was, what's the difference between a public versus a private apology? Could you explain the difference between the two and when one should be used over the other? So I guess what I'm trying to, I'm thinking about public versus private. I mean, public is one where everyone knows that you've apologized. So the city of Dallas, when the city of Dallas had the fake drug cases a few years ago, one of the things that the city made a decision to do when it realized that it as a city had culpability in the fake drug cases that had happened, they offered a public apology. Sometimes a private apology is just between you and me as individuals. The question is, is it something that is the public's business? Is, this, is it important to correct a public perception? Or is this something that is transactional between you and me? So the city of Dallas and the fake drug cases had accountability. And part of what they needed to do for the people who had been wrongfully arrested in that scandal was the city had to stand forward and say publicly, this was wrong. When you're looking at the research in other places is, for instance, in racial discrimination cases, oftentimes what you find out through the research is the plaintiffs in race discrimination cases, they don't even care very much about the authenticity or the sincerity of the apology. They want a public apology because they want a governmental entity to acknowledge that what there has been is there's been a pattern of conduct that has led to racial discrimination. And that's what they're wanting is a declaration and a correction. So when we're looking at apologizing. Uh, two of the words that I, I just heard were, it has to be authentic and it has to be sincere. So let's go another um, 
take another question and look at it from the organizational standpoint, where many organizations today have volunteer response programs. Airlines have what are called special assistance teams. Other companies outside of aviation do as well. So when a company has a tragedy, these teams will come out and assist those that are impacted in the aftermath of a tragedy. Oftentimes, what I hear from the responders is there's a huge disconnect between the senior level of management that's being advised either not to apologize or they just have that old feeling of, oh, if I apologize, I admit liability. But then you have the employees that are responding that want to apologize because, one, they're nervous about how they're going to be talking with family members. They want to say, I'm sorry to have to meet you under those, these, these conditions. How do we resolve the two between what the employee at the base level is responding with to what the, the senior level management is feeling? So you're, you're, th- th- there's a distinction. So one, there's, I'm sorry this has happened, isn't the kind of apology that a company is going to be worried about in terms of legally binding. There's a, there's a human response because you said you're on the ground. More importantly, though, is what I want is I want it to be shot through the company. I want it from the leadership down to the floor. I want everyone to be on board about what are we going to do. What is our company going to do in the wake of a response where there has been a tragedy? What is our company's integrity? Do we account? Do we offer fault admitting apologies? What you have to do with people on the front line, though, is because you're on the front line in the immediate wake of the event, so you don't yet know whether or not there is fault. You know, you're just in the immediate aftermath. You're just trying to do cleanup. And so what you have to do is you have to be able to be first have the people on the front line understand, hey, you can offer expressions of sympathy, but don't be, don't be assigning fault because we don't yet know. But you still have to have an agreement because if, you, if, you, if the people on the ground don't know that the company is eventually going to be accountable, What's happening is you're going to interrupt the, the moral integrity of those people on the ground, and you're going to interrupt company morale. All, right. all good information, and we're going to tie all of that together in our last segment. Lee, when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk with you more about um, apologies that seek to repair and an apology that is considered a social grace, if you will. I also want to refer to an accident that occurred almost two years ago. It was Air Asia Flight 8501. And um, when we come back from the break, we'll start with Air Asia and we'll move from there. Thanks. More of the Black Box coming up. You're tuned in to the Black Box with Ken Jenkins on RNCN. And welcome back to the Black Box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins, and our guest today is Lee Taft of Taft Solutions. And our topic today is apologizing in the aftermath of a tragedy, whether it is a aviation disaster or other company disaster. And before the break, Lee, I mentioned that um, I wanted to ask you a question about um, an accident that occurred two years ago. In researching for our session today, I went back two years to uh, Air Asia Flight 8501, and that plane crashed on December 28, 2014. Exactly a year later, there was an article on that accident, and the first sentence of, of the uh, article was a demand from from family members. And this is what the article said. Families of those killed in an AirAsia plane crash in Indonesia demanded the airline apologize for negligence after a probe showed faulty equipment contributed to the accident. So in light of what we've talked about, is that a a normal request from, from family members in the aftermath, whether it's an aviation accident or others? What's your experience around families' demands around apologizing? I mean, it's an understandable demand. 
that if there has been an investigation and there's a determination that there was faulty equipment, the family will want the company to acknowledge it. That's part of an apology. I think it may be helpful for me to just sort of pause and say that when I'm thinking about apology, I used to think about it just in terms of I'm sorry. Now I think of it more of in a robust movement in what in religious language is called repentance. So an apology is part of it. So there's remorse, there's explanation, there's apology, there's accommodation, and then there's lessons learned. So it's a five sort of point process. So when a family's saying something like this, I think, yes, they want an apology, but they also want an explanation. How is it that things went so wrong? What kind of accommodation? And critically, what are the lessons learned? Because lessons learned are what really interrupts suffering. If you've caused me harm and you don't change anything and I've just suffered, then it's just suffering. But if something happens, if you make a systemic or structural change because of what you learn, that there are lessons learned, what you do is you transform my suffering so that it isn't just suffering, but it becomes meaningful because I know that I've suffered, but someone else in the future won't because of what you've learned and what you've corrected. So th- that certainly is a robust apology then in that respect, and that you're not only acknowledging the emotion, you're also acknowledging um, the, the, the headpiece, if you will, of what happened, how we're going to improve things in the future, what we've learned from it, that your loved one didn't die in vain. If, I've, uh, if I have been, if one of my family members had been on that plane and they're killed, and all you come forward is say, we're just sorry, that isn't going to do anything for me. I want to know, what did you learn? How did this happen? Why, were, why was the equipment faulty? Why was that plane flying? And what are you going to do in the future? If you can step into it in that robust way, you have an opportunity to really transform my experience and you make meaning of the, my loved one's death. So I, I really like the word transform, and you've mentioned other um, uh, emotions, if you will, or I see as emotions such as sincerity and authenticity. And one of the things that I've learned from my responses uh, to aviation accidents and rail accidents is people want to see the humanity behind the organization. They want to see the mankind, not just the corporate entity. Uh, In June of 2010, I saw on your website an article where you were interviewed, and I think it addressed the humanity behind the organization. One of the questions, or I think one of your comments was, um, you made a distinction between an apology that seeks to repair and an apology that is just social grace or damage control. What's the difference in the distinction between the two? I was thinking about in your work. So there's a, there's a recent uh, event on American Airlines. And um, what happened is, is that a kid came on board who was a disabled kid, had um, a service animal. And the flight attendant didn't like a service animal, just had the service animal taken off. And what the airline was doing then, they weren't really trying to repair really what happened. They weren't listening to the family. So they offered them a $150 voucher. So that doesn't really fix it. What that does is that's just, that's just trying to say sort of it's, it's, it's superficial. So there's an apology, there's a voucher, but you're not stepping into it deeply with the family. The question would be with the family, what would help you in light of what happened? That's the kind of thing where you're really moving into a distinction between sort of something that is just a grace, let's try to superficially fix it, and deep repair. How do we really resolve the harm that has been caused by what we've done? And that sounds, well, that sounds like an empathic response to me, doesn't it? Where you're actually stepping out of yourself and saying, how can I help you? I'm putting myself in your shoes and finding out what it is you need. So it's asking the company from an empathic level to respond. Is that right? It's both empathic and there's a vulnerability to it. 
if I've caused you harm and I invite you to contribute and participate in how that harm will be repaired, there's a vulnerability because you may, you may want the moon. There's a thing called the magnitude gap. And that is, is that the party who has received harm and you say, how do we fix it, is going to want the moon. The party who has caused the harm and you say, how do we fix it, they're going to offer nothing. And so this is where it becomes important. How do you negotiate that gap? And so that we are really working together. This is why when my work, it's called restorative work, because you're restoring it by having its participatory. Both the party who has been harmed and the party who have caused the harm are working together to resolve the harm so there is restoration of relationship and there is a fair accommodation for the harm that has been caused. As we begin to wrap up our session, um, I have one more question for you. And we, we've talked today about public versus private apology, empirical evidence uh, reflecting why you should apologize or the benefits of the apology. My question for you now is what advice do you offer a business regarding apologizing after disaster or business interruption? So what I want is I want businesses to have a plan in place. It was really in, in the early days of apology and hospital work, hospitals said, well, we'll figure it out when something happens. Well, something's going to happen in a hospital. That's their high-risk places. So what you want to do is you want to have a plan in place. And so the first thing to do is to have, you, when, when you want to say, what is our crisis management plan? Something has happened. How do we review it? We want to investigate it. We don't immediately launch apologies. We want an investigation. You want to deaccelerate fault-admitting kinds of conversations. You want the person that you're talking about on the field to understand we're not yet ready to be making any kind of fault statement. So you start, the starting place is to have a plan in place. Then what you do is you have an investigation. When an investigation happens, and if the investigation, as it is in the, in the AirAsia flight, they determined that there was a faulty, the, the probe said there was a faulty part, then what happens is then you step into fault-admitting apologies. But often you find out after an investigation that there is not fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. Some things happen. For instance, in a hospital, sometimes someone will have an adverse drug reaction that wasn't foreseeable. That isn't anyone's fault. So it isn't a fault-admitting apology. It can still be empathically, we're sorry this happened, but it isn't our fault. So what you do is you want to make sure that you have a plan. You're going to go in one of two directions. If your investigation shows that there's fault, then you want an organization has the courage to move into kind of the robust process that I described of remorse, explanation, apology, accommodation, and lessons learned. But if it's not at fault, then what you want the company to do is to be able to communicate empathically, engage with the, with the, with the patient or with the, with the passenger because they're customers. You want to make sure you're going to retain their relationship with them. But you don't necessarily be admitting fault. So that's what you want to do, have a plan in place. Lee, thank you so much for your insight and your candor on apology forgiveness. Ken, you're welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me to be here with you today. I hope this episode of The Black Box provided you valuable information regarding the role of an apology in the aftermath of a disaster. Please remember, people want to see the humanity of your organization in the aftermath of a tragedy. Your behavior is critical to the success of your response. If you'd like more information on apology forgiveness, reach out to Lee at www.taftsolutions.com. If you have suggestions for future episodes of The Black Box, reach out to me at theblackbox@kenjenkinsllc.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be safe.
For more information on the Black Box with Ken Jenkins, visit us online at KenJenkinsLLC.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter.